0: Welcome, TTV community. I am Bob DeMena, and here with me, as always, is the very waggish Chidley.
1: Clue me in. <laughs> what is waggish? I have never heard that.
0: <laughs> it, it, it doesn't actually, I mean, it's not that applicable to you, so humorous <laughs> in a playful, mischievous, or facie- facetious manner. Okay. I wouldn't call you mischievous or facetious. Um, oh, well,
1: I'm very facetious.
0: Yeah? yeah? Yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ask Amanda. Okay, I will. I just I like I like the term waggish. I don't know. I'm going to use it all the it's time. It's a fun now. word. I got to admit. Yeah, yeah, waggish. Right.
1: Well, our guest today is Kate McCallhill. She is a writer, editor, and educator. Uh, her first book is a Latin American travel memoir, which we talk about today, called The Patagonian Road, and that was published in May of 2017. She is an assistant professor of English at Santa Fe Community College, and today we talk to her about Patagonian Road why she took the trip, how the trip went and some of the things that happened along the way. So travel tip of this week. If you plan on driving through a country, you can likely go online and print out a sheet that depicts every single type of road sign in that country with an explanation of its meaning, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Bob Mm -hmm. has done that. I have not. Um, But we highly recommend doing this and it can save you a lot of time and also save it to your email. That way you can pull it up or save pictures of it on your phone so you don't have to use data. One of the other cool things that Google uh, Maps and Google Lens offer, or I guess your camera offers is a translate. Sorry. It is Google Translate and you can point it at a sign and it will translate from the selected language to your language of choice. All right. All right. That is all we have for today. Let's get into the episode right now. You can check out some of the cool things
0: we offer. So first is the Traveler's Blueprint Travel Journal and Planner. It's perfect for those of you that like to keep record of everything. It offers tables for budget tracking, mindful travel tips, and details on how you can create your own itinerary layout. This planner can be downloaded through our website immediately upon purchase for you to fill out by hand, or you can fill it out on the computer and it makes it just super easy to keep track of everything you need to plan the perfect trip from confirmation numbers general insight on the country you plan on traveling to and then the back of it is just a bunch of pages for you to actually journal about your experience so the best thing you can print it over and over again and it's on sale now for $7.99 that's it you buy it once and then you have it for every trip thereafter
1: Next up, we have the Traveler's Blueprint video tutorials, which is a five-part video class presented by an animated version of myself and Bob. The series is perfect to help you fill out the travel planner and journal with information and insight on how you can prepare for navigation, booking airfare, restaurant and blog research, itinerary layout, safety, local norms, and of course, being a thoughtful traveler. And that is available through our website for $25. It is a wonderful platform on Thinkific, and you get to go through all the courses.
0: Yeah. And so, and they they pair up very nicely. So if you do get the journal and then you pair that up with the video course, you'll essentially have everything you need to do this on your own, plan your own trip, save a lot of money. Now we take it a step further. And if you actually want to sit down with me one-on-one via zoom and go over the details of your trip, and I'm talking every aspect of your trip from the dates you want to fly out, how to save money on airfare, how to navigate the city, how to find the best restaurants, everything you could think of, I'll sit down with you and and be essentially be your travel consultant and help you plan this trip down to every minuscule detail, if that's your thing, of course. So keep that in mind and check out our website for pricing details on that.
1: And as you all know, Bob and I are either Philly local or appreciate Philly from a distance. And we have our very own tour guide, Kessler, who will hook you up with an incredible Philadelphia experience. He offers a variety of tours where you can uncover the little-known history of the city or chat down on some food and cheesesteaks tours. Kessler is offering two tours exclusively through the Traveler's Blueprint, and you can find them on our website. However, if you do want something a bit different, feel free to email us and we can look at changing up the itinerary with you.
0: If you find this podcast entertaining, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you love us, or if you love at least one of us, we'd be forever grateful if you could subscribe to the show and share some of our social media posts as a story on Facebook or Instagram, because remember, we post clips and images of these podcasts to our social media every week, and we encourage you to give us feedback and ask us any questions you may have for that conversation.
1: Lastly, if you want to be on the show, you can join us and drop us a line for the Travel Around Table series. You can send us your name, website, and a few travel-related topics you'd enjoy discussing.
0: Thank you for listening and enjoy this next podcast. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Kate, thank you for coming on the Traveler's Blueprint podcast.
2: Thanks, it's great to be here.
0: So I came across uh, your book, The Patagonian Road, uh, online, and and immediately was pretty intrigued by this story. I, I invited you on the podcast, and essentially we're going to talk today about your time traveling through the continent of South America. Uh, you did this alone, is that correct?
2: Yep, I was alone.
0: Yeah, and you walked most of it, is that also Correct.
2: Oh no, that's not correct. I took buses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I took buses.
0: So okay. it was a it was a solo trip through South America, um, and when did you actually do this trip?
2: I left at the end of two thousand and ten.
0: Okay, and I guess let's just start from the beginning. Um, like beginning, as in the planning stages. What made you come to the idea of taking such an incredible trip on?
2: Well, I was working in Boston at a small publishing house. I had just finished my master's degree in writing, and I wanted to do something different. I would lived in Boston for some time and wanted to embark on another writing project, and I also wanted to get into teaching. I didn't really think that I would be embarking on a year-long trip. But I was young and dumb, (laughs) and I thought, (laughs) I'll just just try. I'll just apply to things and see if I can get some funding to go. I didn't really have much money. Boston is an expensive city for people in their 20s. Anyone. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah
2: so i just started applying for grants looked at a bunch of different opportunities for teachers for writers these types of opportunities especially as a writer are pretty competitive so a lot of people suggested that i'd not get my hopes up but i applied to one grant through my undergrad institution this all women's college outside of boston and it was a really lengthy application process it took months the application was really involved. It took a long time to prepare, but I ended up interviewing and receiving the funding. I had sketched out a really detailed itinerary based on this book called The Old Patagonian Express, which was a travel narrative by Paul Theroux. He's a very established travel writer, writer in general, He's, he writes novels and nonfiction. And I proposed that I would outline his route, basically following his footsteps from Boston to Patagonia, which is considered to be like the south of Argentina, Chile. Mm -hmm. And I had never been to South America before. I did not speak Spanish. (laughs) It was once again, just sort of a whim. (laughs) But then I ended up investing a lot of time and energy into researching the project and then when I had the funding I had no choice but to go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you yeah. you like a I I imagine that is like a dog. I use this example a lot because I think it's so fitting, but a, a dog that is chasing a car because it's fun but doesn't know what to do with it when it catches up.
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess You could compare me to that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that's something that I wanted to touch up on early on was whether or not you plan this out because doing this podcast now for several years, we talked to a variety of people. Some people just book the flight and show up, put their feet on the ground in a new country and figure it out literally step by step. Uh, And then other people, uh, myself included, are very meticulous and detail-oriented travel planners a country and I'm sorry not a country the continent of South America is quite a feat uh, to go there and not know anything about the nations you're going to visit not only are there uh, general concerns with safety and things like that but the infrastructure just quite isn't there especially if you're coming from the United States where it's it's very manageable to get from one city to the next you're now trying to navigate from one country to the next inter inter country or, or I'm sorry like a, a Country-to-country infrastructure isn't quite there. You don't know how to get from one place to the next. So it's nice to hear that you actually planned this out. <laughs> did you – where was your starting point? I, you mentioned your starting point in Boston, but your your starting point in South America. Did you did you travel like by bus or something from Boston through Mexico what, and stuff? What
2: Paul Theroux did was he took trains all the way down um, okay. from Edford, Mass, to – Patagonia. Basically, I flew from Boston to Guatemala City. Okay, that was the that was one of the two flights that I took to get places. So I started basically in Guatemala City, and by the time I started my trip, there were really no more trains left. You could take some off the beaten track type of trains, and mm-hmm. you could take tourist style trains. Like one train I took was from Machu Picchu. That was a really fancy tourist train, but Mm -hmm. mostly it was just all buses. And yep, the first bus that I boarded was out of Guatemala city. So Central America.
0: Okay. 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 And so as you're going through, you mentioned the Machu Picchu train, like did you, what was your general goal for this trip? Were you going to visit the tourist destinations? Uh, Were you going to try the food? Did you want to go and meet people? What was really your the underlying goal uh, for, for this experience?
2: Well, I really wanted to follow the route that Paul Theroux took. And in his book, The Old Patagonian Express, there is a map. And I really mapped out my itinerary based on that exact okay. route. Okay. Um, as I suspect many travelers can attest, the map that I mapped for myself changed a lot. And my plans changed a ton. I had a really, really detailed Excel spreadsheet stipulating what I would do every week, how much I would spend, where I would stay. I love it. No, was I'm just loving the, this. The, I love it. You're <laughs> speaking the, my
0: language. Grant,
2: really? Yeah. <laughs> for the grant, I needed a pretty specific figure of how much I would be spending.
0: Okay.
2: But once you're there, you realize so many things change. And I was just looking at lonely planets, which are really helpful, but also for anyone who's used them, they're also limiting. And once you get down there, you realize things have changed, or you don't agree, or new stuff has come up, or businesses have closed, or in a few rare instances, the information they provided wasn't necessarily factual, just super rare, super rare that happened. But once I was on ground, almost everything looked different pretty much right away. And I began as the type of traveler who was a fastidious planner, and that was sort of to benefit my mom so that she would know where I was at every step of the way. But by the end, the last six months, I just, it was day by day, very spur of the moment, flying by the seat of my pants Ah, for a interesting. while, when I got back, I was like that too. But now I've kind of returned to my old.
0: <laughs> <way>. <laughs> well, that's really that that that's really interesting because those are two polar opposites, and you've essentially had one experience, one trip with the two extremes of traveling that we see: the, the meticulous planner and the wing it, just go by the, the seat of your pants. Which did you enjoy more?
2: Oh, the latter for sure. I just had a lot more confidence by then, and by then I spoke pretty, I wouldn't say decent Spanish, but my Spanish could get by, and I could have conversations, and I knew how to do things, and um, it was a lot more pleasurable, and for my writing process, it was a lot more productive and, mm, I guess, impulsive, but it just felt like I was being more true to what I really wanted and needed versus being so regimented. When
1: you when you started your trip, did you know? Did you, you did you have the intention of writing a book?
2: That was the goal. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wanted to make a book length manuscript. That was part of what I had also put in my proposal. So that proposal really kept me structured and on task. It was a long year. You know, a year is a pretty long time. So yeah, it is. Yeah, the book One. was um, definitely a goal from start to finish.
1: Okay, and you did in that time in that in those over the course of that year, you had gone through 10 different countries. Did you go to Brazil at all?
2: No, I didn't go to Brazil.
1: Okay. I was going to say, because that would be, uh, picking up Spanish up until that point would be very helpful until you got there.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It would have been great to go there. And the reason I didn't was because of the cost of getting into Brazil. You had to pay for a second visa and I was feeling really poor, but... I would love to go there someday. And I met many wonderful Brazilian people who we managed to communicate even in my hack-eyed Spanish and their yeah. Portuguese.
0: Yeah. And so I, I guess I want to get into maybe more of the specifics of your trip. As you you start in, in Gua- um, Guatemala, right? Guatemala City. And like what? You, you mentioned that you were you were following the path of Paul Theroux. Is that how you pronounce his name? Theroux? Um did you in addition to following his actual path his itinerary I'm sorry his 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 map did he have an itinerary layout did he have goals for his trip that you were also trying to mimic what did you actually do like what were you what was your day to day like
2: It was pretty different from what Paul Thoreau did because he was in a really different position than I was first of all he had more money than I did he spoke from what the book shows pretty decent Spanish. He was a man, and so that allowed him certain freedoms that I didn't necessarily feel like I could enjoy. And he had traveled a lot, so I think his goals seem to have been to get from A to B by train, to document the rail journey, and he's a big character writer, so he Really took a lot of time to talk about people that he met along the way, mostly men, other men he met along the way, just describing all sorts of people that he met, professionals, drunk people, beggars, other travelers, people who owned businesses and cities that he visited, but he moved pretty quick. He did the journey in a matter of months, not a year. So I knew I wanted to follow his route, but I also wanted to take this like sort of modern, I guess I would probably say like feminist slant on it. Although I'm not sure I had that intention at the time, but I wanted to sort of challenge the type of narrative that he had written, which was always on the move. Of course, I come from privilege. I'm from the States. I'm white. I'm, you know, I had been educated at a four-year institution and it was a nice college, but I didn't enjoy all of the privileges that he did. And I wanted to write about also um, trying to immerse yourself a little bit more than what I had observed him do. He's very, he moved quickly and mm-hmm. he didn't stay long in any one place. Plus his, I wanted to learn Spanish.
1: His His time was, I I just did a quick Google search of the Patagonian Express. It looks like he did this trip in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I mean, that's very different. That's 40 years difference. A lot of technology had changed and cultures had changed and the world had become more globalized. So I'm curious to see how his experience in that regard differed from your experience.
2: Yeah, he obviously didn't have any of the modern technology that I enjoyed. I didn't bring any devices. I had a laptop, but it worked when I had wireless. So I didn't have a smartphone, I didn't have a tablet. Um but I did of course I could ch- I could use my computer when I checked into hostels and so that was one really different thing that I had. There was also different dangerous places for him than there weren't than there were for me and in general, I think. It was a safer trip for me than for him in many ways based on external consequences like if I recall correctly he had to skip over um, Nicaragua pretty quickly because of the Mm. unrest there whereas I was able to spend a lot of time there and I felt quite safe and even now traveling in Guatemala is really different now than it was when I was there and I really felt pretty safe the entire trip. That could have been just once again, cause I was naive and wasn't sure what was going on, but you know, I went to Mexico with my partner a couple of years ago and the situation is changing fast there too. And depending where you are too, Mexico is a huge country and yeah. you can be safe in one corner and then in another corner you can encounter real problems. So, you know, Paul and I, we both encountered some political strife, but I think it was worse. I think it was worse for him. In some instances, he really needed to skip over places to feel safe.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's, it, it is definitely an interesting uh, comparison between those times. And now, I mean, politically between like socio demographics and so- socialist, I guess not socialist, but social perceptions of things have vastly changed since, the seventies. Um, at what point in your trip did you start to gain more confidence?
2: Well, the first stop that I really took was in this city called Shayla spelled like X E L A. And that's in Guatemala. So I traveled there from Guatemala city and I pretty much started feeling better. Once I was there, I stayed with a family. I, you know, it was a woman with a couple of younger kids and they really took good care of me and helped me with my horrible Spanish. There were a couple other travelers staying in rooms that um, this woman rented and I went to a Spanish school and it was a really terrific option. I would recommend doing this to anybody who wants to learn a language, especially if you want to learn Spanish, I would recommend going to Guatemala, go to this city called Shayla and go to a Spanish school. There's a ton of Spanish schools there. They're very affordable for Americans, and I was studying Spanish something like eight hours a day with one private lessons with this one woman. She was my age. She had grown up in Shayla herself. She knew a lot about the area. She taught me a lot about, from her perspective, the culture there. I learned a lot about the Mayan people, about the region and different areas. So that was terrific. My Spanish improved really quickly. All we did was speak Spanish. I didn't speak any English. Um, And I took a lot of side trips, too, with people that I met, little towns around, and that's when I started feeling a lot more confident. My Spanish was never that great until I really moved. You know, it takes a long time to learn a language, and it's still Mm -hmm. not that great, but Mm -hmm. at least I had the tools to ask for what I needed, understand what people were saying. I wasn't just fumbling around blind and deaf.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that that makes a big difference. I remember uh Bob and I had traveled to Peru and I have taken Spanish, you know, through like middle school and high school, so I was able to at least communicate very basically, but when I I did a trip in Tanzania and I felt completely out of place because the language is vastly different. It's not any of the love languages like where Spanish is similar to Latin. It's similar to Portuguese. It's similar to French. And so you can, or it's similar to Italian, not Latin. Nobody speaks Latin. Uh, <laughs> but you could at least pick up on some of those things. But when you go to a completely different country and you have no idea what the language is, it is very difficult and you feel disconnected, mm-hmm. isolated.
0: Yeah. And all right, so so that that's, that's one aspect of it. and I want to get into the fact that you you one were traveling alone and two you are a woman. We touched up on this a few times on the podcast where it's it, we, we've had solo female travelers on, and they they're, they're, they avidly promote it. Um, they want more women to get out and, and travel and not be afraid to do so. but you also can't ignore the fact that it is it can be. Um, more dangerous for a woman to be on the road alone uh, because they're vulnerable to men who uh, who who seek solo women. So in your experience traveling through what I think Westerners consider some of the most dangerous countries in the world, whether or not that's true, whether or not they look at the, the actual statistics of that, South America does have a a sort of stigma in that regard. Um, what was your experience like being alone and a woman in, in these countries?
2: I've definitely felt a lot less safe here in the United States many times in my life. And our country is in fact, one of the most dangerous countries. If you look at the statistics and the number of incarcerated people and the number of, you know, horrible gun tragedies. So I definitely perceived that (sighs) there were a couple situations that I got myself into that I take responsibility for where I put myself at risk and they were with other Americans that I had met Mm. in terms of how I was treated by people who lived in the countries that I visited. It was overwhelmingly extremely supportive. A lot of, I got a lot of concern. Many people thought, no, why was I alone? Where was my husband? Wasn't my mother worried about me? She was. (laughs) Um, Did I, would I like to come for a meal? Did I need a place to stay? A lot of people walked me from a bus station to a hostel. People were so, so kind and really looked out for me, I I felt. They were concerned. They thought it was strange. It's unusual for women to go out and venture on their own the way I did in some cultures, but people were so terrific and I really got the sense that if I was wandering around, it was starting to grow dark. Somebody would say, you can't be out here. Here's a place for you to stay. Whereas here in the States, I've found myself wandering the streets of many cities alone at night. And people won't look you in the eye. And no one would dare ask you if you needed a place to stay. I mean, that's sort of interpreted differently here, that kind of a question. But no, I really felt extremely supported, and I was sad to leave and to come back here and realize how cold our culture actually is. Americans have this reputation of being so friendly and so warm, and we are to some extent. We're very open. We love to talk. We love to talk about ourselves, (laughs) but when it comes to helping each other, we're capitalists, you know, and these cultures are not set up that way. They're very communal, and they really took responsibility for me in a way that I didn't deserve and I really still think about all the time.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting. It it is interesting. I think one of the, probably one of the aspects that Americans or one of the reasons that Americans do that is because we have a large diversity of people in our country. So we're, we're used to seeing, we're used to seeing African-Americans we are used to seeing Mexican people. We're used to seeing Spanish people. We're used to seeing people from East Asia. And so seeing them is not out of the ordinary, but when you go to other countries like Nicaragua, like Guatemala, you kind of do stick out like a sore thumb. So it's fairly apparent that you do not fit in. But at the same time, uh, there are, I mean, compared to when Paul was traveling through South America, there seems to be a large population of expatriates in, at least in Nicaragua. We spoke with someone a young female who lives in San Juan del Sur and she, well, I lived there. She spent six months there and she talked about how large of a expat community there was. And she felt comfortable being there by herself.
0: Yeah. Hmm. And so, so keeping on, on pace with your trip, were there any significant moments, um, or I guess anything where you had this this light bulb going off saying this is important, this is something that you're going to incorporate into your book. I guess essentially, do you mind sharing some of the highlights of, of this experience? Sure. Mm-hmm.
2: The trip was really wonderful. I was so lucky to have a lot of support. The financial support was huge that I got from the grant, and that allowed yeah. me to feel safe in a way that I might not have necessarily been able to if I had been really on a shoestring budget. I mean, I was able to, you know, rent rooms, private rooms instead of sharing dorms. And what I said about feeling supported, that's not to say that there are not risks for men and women. And I heard a lot of stories about bad things that happened in hostels to women and men or people who went out at night or people who took the wrong bus, or took the wrong route, or took bad advice, or didn't trust their instinct. That was probably the number one people who didn't trust their instinct. So there were, it is, you do have to think carefully, and um, you have to have your wits about you, and you have to be lucky, and I was definitely lucky, and so I want to acknowledge that before I talk about any highlights, but the highlights were, When I went to a place and somebody really helped me out and supported me, like I will never forget these two wonderful women that I lived with in Buenos Aires, Argentina for about four months. I say lived with, I always kind of was conflicted about saying that because I didn't live there. I just stayed (laughs) for three months, but I stayed in this woman's home and they were sisters. They had lived in Buenos Aires almost their whole lives, except for several times when they had to flee for safety reasons and for political reasons. And they taught me so much about what it meant to be a person from Buenos Aires, what it meant to be an Argentine person. They took me to all the little secret corners of Buenos Aires. And I think about those women all the time. They had this beautiful cat named Perucho, And I just felt like I was really immersed in what it meant to be someone who lived there and had lived there for so long. I mean, they love their city fiercely and they left under duress and they had these fascinating lives. They had worked with Rigoberto Menchu, who's this activist um, from Guatemala. And they had just, they knew so much and they helped me with my Spanish all the time, introduced me to the food. Those women were one of my treasures, but really, I feel remiss mentioning them without mentioning everyone else. And did acknowledge, I did try to acknowledge everyone that I met at the back of my book in the acknowledgement section, but I know I miss some people and those people were really um, the highlights. There was another man that I befriended in Ecuador, Rafael. He was from France and his English was his English <laughs> is really good now, but it was bad at the time. <laughs> And my Spanish was mediocre, but my French was non-existent. So we spoke Spanish to each other and he had a motorbike and he took me all around the countryside and never made me feel threatened or afraid, but we drove all around the country on this motorbike and it was amazing. I mean, it was amazing to not have to take buses and to just feel so free and go to these places. And, you know, I felt safer with him too. His Spanish was better than mine. And he was a terrific friend with whom I still keep in touch. And there are the amazing landmarks, too, that I think if you're able to visit, you should. Machu Picchu was very, very special. It's a controversial place to visit because it's overrun with tourists. And on the day that I went there, it was pouring rain. It was very foggy. And people were still clamoring in. And that's not really good for those historic sites, but... It was still one of the most amazing days of my life (laughs) to go there and climb and look out and just meet this old man guide who told me a lot of things. And um, being alone allows you to really understand how special those moments are, I think, in a way that you can't absorb if you're with somebody else because you're caring for them or you're talking to them or you're in more of a comfort zone. Whereas when you feel really free or you know distant from the rest of your life it is a really profound feeling
1: yeah i think traveling alone has its perks when you are visiting i wouldn't say maybe spiritual destinations are a good way to think about it but any any kind of major landmark that you can truly appreciate you have a lot more freedom to reflect for introspection to think about the incredible things that went into either constructed or the history behind it. And when you're, when you're with someone else, like when we were, I think Bob and another friend and I, we all went to Machu Picchu and it was a great experience for the three of us. But I think if we had gone as individuals, it would have been a different experience.
0: Well, there's something about knowing that you have no one else to share that experience with that it kind of forces you to. Live, I don't know. Live through it. Think through it on your own. I mean, you have no one else. You could try to explain it to people, that never works. I don't know if I'm sure you've tried to explain travels to other people, friends and family, and they never quite understand it, and they seemingly never really care to try to understand it. And so, if you if you want to actually if this if this travel experience is important to you, then you really do have to dive into it on your own and really think about it and break it down and, and. Pull out what you think is meaningful from that experience. I don't have any travel solo travel experience uh, internationally, but I do have quite a bit of it uh, within the united states and Every time I would get back from a hike exploring the Pacific Northwest or a brand new city um, I would get back to the hotel and i would I would sort of analyze it and try to take something away because I think if you don't take that moment to reflect upon that experience, it has a way of kind of going you know going into the air and never coming back.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's the nice thing about being a writer was that, of course, you can never completely recreate what happened or how you felt or how a place looked, but whether or not you call yourself a writer, I think you should always bring a journal with you. And I think it's nice Mm -hmm. to have, you know, something where you're writing with your hand rather than like a pen and a paper rather than your phone or your laptop, because it's so easy now to be distracted by the internet when you're logging into your device but something that was so wonderful for me was that every I was alone so I didn't really have much to do I wasn't going to go out on the town by myself really so every night when I got home I would write in my journal and even if it's just a few sentences I look back and it blows my mind the stuff that I experienced because it's been 10 years since I took that trip but um when you write it down, you are, it's like taking a photograph, except it's more detailed. It can contain emotion that a photograph can't contain. And it's your own words, and you remember what people told you. And I think that really can be a way, actually, to convey how it was for you, what happened, maybe show someone else. But um, your writing should first and foremost be for yourself. And it's mm-hmm. such a gift when you can look back at your journal. know 10 years later when you're sitting in your office you say wow I did that yeah yeah I
0: I actually just went through that experience so I've talked about it on the podcast now one of my most prized possessions is the journal that my wife and I took while we were on our honeymoon we traveled through the Balkan countries so it was like Croatia and Bosnia and Herzegovina and Montenegro Um, we did that for about two weeks and each day one of us would log into the journal and I mean it was a paper journal and and Write down the day's experience, and it was it's it's incredible because it has both of our uh, experiences together meshed into one overarching story. Got some
1: witty banter in there.
0: There's witty banter and stuff, and and I ended up scanning it in just a few weeks ago to have it on the Google Drive just to save it in case something were to happen to the book for whatever reason. And I started reading through it, and it just made me smile. It's the the, the emotion in it, like you said, it, us discussing what we had for dinner, uh, whether or not we liked it because you were trying random new dishes and the, the, like you can get a, you can get a really good idea for the mood of that night or the mood of that experience and what it meant to you then, especially looking back, you know, 10 years and looking at just a picture of you standing in front of Machu Picchu, you're not going to get the same thing out of that. Whereas Elliot, we kept a, I don't think we finished the journal, but we have like a yeah. partial journal of our I would love together. to see that now because mm-hmm. that would, that
1: yeah. trip was so fast paced that there were, when we did so many things. It'd be nice to look at. I do. I yeah. wish that I had started to journal earlier in my travels, um, but I do not have anything. The only things I have are mostly pictures. And the the next trip that I take or I take with someone else, I plan on journaling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. uh Kate, I want to I want to jump into your experience teaching as well because while you were learning Spanish, you also had three different teaching jobs, correct? Can you, yep, can you tell us about those?
2: Yeah. It's pretty easy to teach English down there if you are motivated and are willing to communicate with people a little bit once again, this is something that I really tried to plan out in advance. And for the most part, it didn't much look like the way I thought that it would. But if you say you're willing to teach English, I was willing to teach for free because I had the grant and this was part of my goal. Um, And sort of, I think, you know, I wanted to quote unquote, give back. I'm not sure how much I really gave back. If anything, I think mostly I took, but it was a way for me to make me feel like I was doing something productive and I was learning. So the first, I don't know whether I would call it a teaching job, but I first worked in a daycare school in Nicaragua in Granada, which is a very beautiful town, just a little bit north of the capital. And I worked there for, I don't know, maybe three months. The kids were really little. Their Spanish was very difficult to decipher because they mumbled like kids, and my Spanish was also (laughs) really poor. So it was a lot of sign language. um, But we did basic things, just coloring. I remember doing a lot of handwriting practice, playing, laughing. They were adorable. They would show up on the back of their parents' motorbike. These little four- and five-year-olds with their hair kind of like gelled all spiky and they were wonderful to work with. There were teachers there, of course, too, who lived in the town who helped me well enough, but I felt bad because this was their work. They lived here. I was passing through. I was having a fun time playing with little kids, but I did feel like they were in a room that I could never really enter. I couldn't really communicate very well with the kids. And it did feel gratuitous at times. Like I was trying to get something for myself. It was a wonderful experience. And when I left, I'm sure they didn't miss me very much. They didn't think about me very much. Some other volunteer came and left. Someone like me who was came from privilege, had their North Face gear, had their lonely planet. Nevertheless, it was <laughs> really fun. And it was a great way to learn Spanish. I mean, anytime you can interact with people all the time in the language that you're trying to learn, you you learn. I mean, you mm-hmm. just you have to, and you learn how people talk, and you learn how to listen more. Did
1: mm-hmm. your experience change by the third time teaching?
2: Yeah, well, I worked with three different levels of students. I started with those young kids, and in Ecuador, I worked with middle school kids. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the most useful experience, although it was hard. <laughs> I worked in a school that was really in a very poor neighborhood. A lot of people told me not to go to that neighborhood because it was dangerous. The school was pretty broken down, run down, cold, you know, broken glass on the floor. The classes were big, probably 30 students. And the t- I had three classes that I taught English to. In one class, the teacher would just leave the room while I taught, and the kids would like throw spitballs at me. And,
1: <laughs> Wonderful. Um, Got a yeah. love middle schoolers. It
2: wasn't malicious. It was just, they didn't, there was no discipline in that classroom, and yeah. Um, yeah. So, we still so had fun. We still laughed.
1: <laughs> middle schoolers are the same pretty much everywhere, it seems.
2: <laughs> They were. Yeah. They were funny, and I learned a lot of new words, and... I made a lot of mistakes that were like, you know, like kind of sexual <laughs> work that I didn't know, you know, um, and they laughed at me and we had a good time. But then there were the other two teachers that I worked with were extremely kind hearted and they gave me presents at the end and they listened while I gave my lesson and they were very supportive of me and they helped me learn how to be a better teacher and how to interact with every student. And then in Argentina, I worked with adults and I had small classes of like two to seven students. Okay. And I also learned a ton because those people were my, you know, they were my age or older and they had families and they were willing to help me help them. That's where I probably learned the most sophisticated skills with the language. My Spanish was also the most proficient by then but we could work on more advanced topics and we could study more complexities of grammar and we could look at, they could sort of help me to figure out how to say something or help me to translate something for them. All were fascinating. Now I work at a community college and I teach adults, obviously, and I love it. I teach ESL still, um, working with people who are usually between the ages of 18 and 24, but the ages range and I don't think I would have gone into this profession nor would I have gotten the job if I didn't have that experience that I did.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I think we've, we've had a lot of conversations with individuals that have done teaching English abroad and all of them have talked about how it was as much as they were teaching, they were learning. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I, if I had, if I were able to go back and travel as a young adult, I think I would have, Very much like to do that either during college or after college.
0: Yeah. I think
2: everyone should. And I know in other countries, especially European countries, it's pretty standard to go take a gap year before you go to college. That's not really a thing here in the United States, but I sure wish I had done it because I didn't know many people who really took their freshman year seriously, and college is expensive in the United States. And I sure wish I had gone somewhere and
1: yeah, you I learn a lot in the gap a year. year.
0: Well, Elliot,
2: I think
1: yeah. it
0: was you that Elliot. I think it was you that said this, and I don't remember the context of the conversation. But essentially, you said that as the millennials, as our generation, uh, goes up the ranks of the corporate world and becomes the the ones controlling, I guess, the, the overall workforce of the United States, I think we'll be more accepting of the gap year, and yes. because we sort of understand the importance of we it may more be so than expecting it. Do. Right, right, and because. As we're hearing now with with Kate, it's invaluable to life experiences, uh, more so than a freshman year of college. Uh,
1: Where you're, yeah. But do you remember when we were in, so when we were on that train to Machu Picchu, we actually met uh, an English kid who was doing his gap year and Machu Picchu Mm -hmm. was his first destination and then they were going to like Southeast Asia and he was just spending a year abroad. He'd like saved up all this money to, in order to do this.
0: Yeah, I think it'll become more common. I I, I think that America is slowly jumping on the travel bandwagon, so to speak. We're not a very, we're not a well-traveled country. Yeah. And we should say
1: it's travel for not necessarily education, but travel for experience and not travel for vacation. I think that's the connotation that most Americans think of travel is that it is a vacation and it's purely relaxation and for fun.
0: Good point. Yeah, no. Well, yeah, I'm not talking about the the trip to Cancun or the trip to the Bahamas. I'm talking about yeah the the experience uh, to learn, to understand the culture, to to consider there are realities outside of your own American bubble. Yes. <laughs> so I I, I want to get I guess moving down (laughs) geographically (laughs) as you're getting closer to the end of your trip um chile and argentina are really unique destinations for anyone to visit i think not many people spend their vacations there or or make it part of their trip especially traveling through the entire country because they're so big they're they're incredibly long countries um Can you, uh, either one, I don't know. Did you, did you go through Chile or did you go through Argentina? No,
2: I didn't visit. Just Argentina.
0: Just Argentina. So now you're traveling through Argentina and, and I have some, I have a rough idea of what it's like. I know it's very, it's open. It's, it's a lot of wilderness and mountains. What was that like? Just being by yourself, traveling by bus, visiting small towns in Argentina do you have any any stories to share from your time there?
2: Yeah, well, Argentina is an interesting country because it's Argentina and Chile and Mexico are considered the wealthier countries of South America. And then there's Uruguay and Brazil. All the countries have wealth, of course, but these are the countries that are considered by many Latin Americans to be the wealthier ones. So I was expecting that when I, when I arrived in Argentina, I had just spent time in Bolivia, which is the country to the north of Argentina. And Bolivia is one of the poorer, one of the poorest countries in Latin America. It's also one of the most indigenous. So I had just spent a lot of time in a country where no one speaks English. There were very few Americans. There's a high fee that Americans have to pay to enter Bolivia that other nationalities don't have to pay, which in my opinion, we deserve. <laughs> we deserve what, that. Base. What's the I'm-
0: reasoning for that?
2: Uh it's sanctions that we have imposed. George Bush initiated those. I'm pretty sure, but you definitely yeah. want to fact check me on that. So it's yeah, basically a way to punish Americans. Um,
1: Did not know that. No. Yep, mm-hmm.
2: You have to pay more. <laughs> and That's... I was the only American on the trip, on the bus, and everyone sort of laughed at me and said, why do you have to pay that? But it's because we've treated Bolivia poorly and with mm. disrespect, and we haven't given them the autonomy that they Deserve as a sovereign country. And so it's a way to be punitive while still allowing us in. So I had spent a lot of time there and had an amazing time in Bolivia. It's hard to get internet access. Well, this might have changed, but I felt very far flung from it all. Whereas when I arrived in Argentina, the first city that I stayed in was this city called Hu Hui, spelled J U J U Y. Ah. I stopped there because Paul Theroux had stopped there. So I figured I would too. And it's just a Northern city in Argentina, but I noticed how modern it was right away. It had really fancy clothing stores and it was, you know, there were nice buildings. There was really great food and I hadn't really eaten much. Sometimes when you go to a country, you don't know what to eat. (laughs) I had eaten a lot of alpaca and stuff like that in Bolivia, and the food was tasty, but I didn't always know what to have. And so, a lot of times, I just subsisted on like corn cakes or street food. Whereas in Argentina, it's more like what you would encounter in an American city or in Europe. It's there's delis and there's bakery food was terrific you could get wine which you know i hadn't been able to get wine um it's expensive to get wine in a lot of latin america but in argentina they had it and i felt very pampered and it was more expensive and i stayed in a really really nice hostel and felt very coddled (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was a little sad too i definitely mourned leaving bolivia because it had this quality that you don't get in other places and all of a sudden I felt like I was back in the modern world again and people had their cell phones and they had wireless and there were a lot more people who looked like me and the roads were (laughs) paved and for some reason I felt sad about that but (laughs) Argentina is also an amazing place and people always think of Buenos Aires when they think of Argentina or they think of the pampas that's the you know the grassy fields where they have the cattle Mm -hmm. but actually there are so many really cool cities and Argentina, like there was this city Rosario that I stayed in, that's north of Buenos Aires. But travelers don't really go there much, at least not American travelers. But it was this amazing city and cobbled streets and just beautiful piazzas and fountains, and the food was terrific and it had this kind of funky quality. And when I was there, I took a taxi from the bus station to a hostel and paid the guy with a hundred a hundred peso I guess I can't remember the denomination and he said oh this is fake this is fake money that you got from some other town in Argentina and he was really nice about it um he didn't charge oh, wow. me he just said like here's how you can tell if it's fake and taught me how and I have amazing memories from this town Rosario and I almost liked it better than Buenos Aires which has a lot of tourists it's overwhelmingly huge beautiful in its own way but um the whole country is extremely fascinating and you know it has a dark a dark history too, a complex history but Mm -hmm. people are very educated it's very civilized to travel there you can take very comfortable buses across the country at pretty affordable prices the food is terrific the weather is decent it's a fascinating fascinating culture but you do have to prepare to not eat your dinner till like 10 (laughs) p.m. Even that's kind of early. And the city starts late too. So people don't get to work at eight or seven or nine like they do here. Like it's much more leisurely and it's about pleasure there and family and great food and terrific wine and eating a lot of beef. (laughs) It
1: sounds like a culture I could get. In
0: yeah I'm, I'm so envious uh when i hear of these other cultures being more family oriented or leisure oriented or just uh, happiness oriented it's just it sounds it sounds so nice and refreshing uh why can't we adopt that here
1: because we have to do it's, everything
0: yeah well it's like it's it comes back to the capitalism right the dog i mean dog. every
2: culture has something great and yeah we mm-hmm. do too and we mm-hmm. did Once Mm -hmm. you've traveled from the States, you realize that America is not necessarily the best country in the world and we do have a lot of problems, but people were tired a lot in in Argentina too. I mean, you're hung over a fair amount, (laughs) very polluted city and there's a lot of poverty and there's drug use and there's major problems and conflicts with neighboring countries. So it's not perfect and it's easy to romanticize, but the family orientation there is definitely something that I really miss that value of enjoying your life and the richness of your life versus the value of money and work and that is definitely Mm. something we need to improve upon but I think things are changing and especially with COVID we've all sort of learned to appreciate the little things more and appreciate you know our homes and our families and our yards if we're fortunate enough to have them and our pets and the connections we have with people rather than money, things. which seems to matter less to a lot of us now, I think, and our health, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 I yeah. agree
1: with that. One of the things I want to get into is that we talked a little bit about your highlights, but uh, when we were doing some research, you mentioned that you had stayed in a dingy
2: brothel? <laughs> yeah, I was just talking <laughs> about that with my husband the other day. Um, this was one of the times when Lonely Planet kind of let me down and could have been my fault too, but I was in... El Salvador. And that's not a very touristed country, but it is a beautiful country, but a taxi took me to a hotel that was written up in the Lonely Planet, but I think I went to another hotel with the same name. Not sure. But it was a hotel that rented by the hour or the night, and of course I chose the night. I wanted to be there all night. You know, it was a funny it was funny once I got there. was a little scary, but mostly it was just funny because it was really safe. There was like a fifteen-year-old boy behind a desk with bars on it who took my money and gave me my room, and he was just someone's son who worked in the place. And for me, I've thought, "Oh, this is so scandalous that I'm staying in a brothel," but it was in a safe neighborhood. Nothing bad happened to me. The people who worked there were nice, and they helped me get. A beer when I first checked in, and it okay, was fine. I was ready to leave in the morning. <laughs> well,
0: at what point when did I'm you realize? At what point did you realize it was a brothel?
2: Oh well, the sign said we rent by the hour or the night, and also in my room I could hear <laughs> the neighboring rooms. But okay, it was just <laughs> pleasure. It wasn't like there were weapons or anything. Right, right. You no, know. it was fine, and it, and I just felt silly. <laughs> was basically what it was but it made for a good story did you have any tell my mom
1: (laughs) does she know now
2: well she read the book and it's in the book so okay yeah find out yeah
1: all right what did she think
2: um she didn't mention it (laughs) (laughs) i think there was some stuff in the book that she just sort of didn't mention but she did say she was proud of me and appreciated my efforts
0: yeah that's
1: good did you have any other situations like that
2: where I stayed in brothels? No. <laughs> and there wasn't any of that. You know, and that was just because El Salvador doesn't have the tourist infrastructure that these other countries do. And so it wasn't their fault. I mean, it was my fault for just fumbling through, expecting to get something and getting something different. And it was a terrific learning experience for me. But like El Salvador was terrific. And I didn't spend much time there, but people were just as nice as could be. The buses were fine. Got me from A to B. Um, There was only really one. There were a couple other dangerous circumstances. Like I said, one with this American person that I met who turned out to be kind of a sinister guy and had bad intentions and was trying to, I think, escape from problems in his own life. I think he had started a family with a woman down in Ecuador and then was trying to hide from her. And she found she found us. (laughs) And That was um, scary. It involved this car chase. And that was the one time on my trip when I thought that I would die because this car chase was no joke. But
1: Uh, tell us a little bit more about that.
2: (laughs) Well, it was me being dumb and feeling lonely. And this guy wanted to be a friend. And he told me he would take me to this national park. And we were driving up there and it was super beautiful. Um The ride up he seemed like a reasonable person, you know you're you're tempted to trust people who are like you. He talked like me, he was American like me he We had similar anecdotes, but then this car started chasing us, and it was couldn't tell who was in the car. They were sort of trying to mess with us getting really close, drove us off the road, we drove down the dirt road, going really, really fast that was the one time in my life when I really saw my life flash before my eyes. Um, And we got into the national park and you had to pay and we paid and the people behind us in the car didn't pay. And then we were on one side and they were on the other side. And I was really frightened. And I ran into the little gate um, shack with where the guy had taken our money. And I said, these people are chasing us, protect us. And he said, those are two women in the car who have been chasing you. There's nothing to be afraid of." And I looked and sure enough, it was one woman and one younger woman. And somebody else had told me on my trip, if there are women involved, there's a lot less risk, you know, if there are women in the situation. And eventually they just drove away. And then we drove back and I kind of lost this guy pretty quick. And then I did receive an email the next day from this woman who had been chasing us, who got my email address from him. Oh, man. And she explained, I'm this guy's wife, and we have a kid. And, like, I didn't, he's doing, he does this all the time. I mean, it was just personal drama, but it wasn't about her. It was about him and the sketchy guy that I shouldn't have trusted I did kind of have a weird feeling about it. And so I guess that would be my main advice to people is like, really, you have to trust your instinct, you just have to. And even if it's more convenient to go with someone, or you're really lonely, and you want to just have dinner with someone. If you feel this doubt tugging at you, you should not go because your instinct knows and your body or mind are telling you something that you might not be picking up on. But you're noticing things that, um your senses are really trying to make you aware of. Yeah. I, I, and I, I felt stupid and I felt, <laughs> you know, it was silly, but um, then I moved on.
0: I can't recite the information, but I know that there's strong scientific data to, to, that establishes that gut instinct is legitimate. Like there, there's actual evidence to suggest that it's real, it's tangible. You can actually quantify it. And I and, and understand that it's not just, gut instinct. There's something else beyond that there. Um, so you should trust
2: Yeah, that. there's a really good book called The Gift of Fear. It's older now and it does have some accusations about promoting like white people's fear of black people, basically. But it is an interesting study by this man who's a professional in his field about your body's cues and how Mm -hmm. a gut instinct is not just something that comes out of nowhere. It's based in sense data that you're collecting from around you.
0: Yeah. I guess this is a little bit of a tangent now, but when I was looking into that, I was reading a story about, uh, it was a woman speaking and she was saying that she could be standing in an elevator. And as she's, as the doors are closing, a man will start to walk towards it and get in. And if she feels uneasy in that moment, she doesn't take the risk of letting that elevator door close and her being alone with a man that her body feels is not the right guy to be alone in an elevator with. And she will just get off the elevator regardless of how awkward that may be, how obvious it may be that she gets off that elevator. Uh, she doesn't care. She trusts her gut instinct. And it was just a really interesting article um, about, about doing that, about, about using that throughout your life um, and, and making sure you pay attention to it. And I think it really could translate well for those listening that are traveling, whether you're doing it solo or with your family. Um, pay attention to those feelings because it could could save you. Good insight. Yeah. Yeah. So now uh, I want to get to the very end. Um, you finally reach reach the end of Patagonia. Where did you stop? Which city did you stop in?
2: You know... I would say that the trip came to a conclusion in Buenos Aires. I did travel. My dad and my brother came down at the very end. Mm -hmm. We did travel across Argentina to Bariloche, Mm -hmm. which is a ski resort town in um, Western Argentina. Very beautiful. But I didn't really consider that to be an organic part of the trip because I was with companions. I was with family My dad was there so he could like give us nice meals and take care of me a little bit. So I didn't actually make it to the town that Paul Theroux ended up in. You know, we did fly to that town and sort of look around and I took a picture, but it was anticlimactic. It didn't really feel like... I had come to the end in the same sense that he came to an end. So for me, really, by the end of the trip, it looked very different from what Paul Thru had done. And I felt like, okay, this trip has become my own now. And for many different reasons, I'm concluding in a different place and time than he is.
0: Would you be able to summarize, I guess, the the trip as far um, as it relates to, I guess, how it changed your philosophical outlook on the world? (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, it definitely changed the course of my life. For example, I <clears throat> have been planning all along to move back to the East Coast, the Northeast, where I'm from. Instead, I took a teaching job here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I still live almost 10 years later. I got married. We had a house. I married a guy from Santa Fe. I work at the Santa Fe Community College. A lot of my students are Hispanic. The majority are Spanish speakers. And I don't think those are choices that I would have made if I hadn't had that year. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have made my book. My book has definitely changed my professional life for the better. I have to say a shout out to my amazing publisher. That's Andrew Gifford at the Santa Fe Writers Project. He has championed my work from the start. He's been an amazing ally and supporter And I love him (laughs) and (laughs) hope that he will publish another one of my books, but he has high standards. And so we're working on that together.
0: (laughs) Do you Uh, have, Oh, go ahead. Do you have future travel plans?
2: Nope. I think my travel days might be um, coming to an end at least for The time being, honestly, I'm nine months pregnant right now, so I'm probably (laughs) not going to be traveling.
0: Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, yeah, you you might be grounded Um, for a little bit.
2: (laughs) But traveling is different now. It's different when you're in your 20s and you're single and you don't really have anything, any rootedness. Mm -hmm. And now I just feel comfortable where I am. Traveling Mm -hmm. has changed for me. It feels a lot more exhausting now. And I marvel at what I was able to do, and where it was, what conditions I was able to sleep and eat. That's not. Yeah, that's yeah, really yeah.
0: Now. Well, I think in order to get even somewhat close to the experience you have, you had traveling through South America, you, you would have to go to a city um, and just spend a significant amount of time there and really dive into the city. I don't think you'd be able to get the experience you did by just going on a vacation anymore. You'd have to really immerse yourself into the culture and to even get it remotely close to what you had uh, with such a significant trip. It's hard to top.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I could never, it could never be the same again, but we're hoping Mm -hmm. to travel again in the future and it'll be wonderful in its own way. And it won't be like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have something, Elliot?
1: I was just going to say, I think every every time a new experience is formed, the next experience will never be the same. Even if you do the exact same trip, you'll see it from a different perspective.
2: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Also very insightful. Uh, Kate, so thank you for coming on today. Before we get into the rapid fire round, which we didn't tell you about that we have, but we do have, uh, <laughs> can you please just provide us with uh, any social media accounts or websites uh, where people can purchase your book? Anything you'd like to share in that regard?
2: Oh, sure. Well, the book is Patagonian Road, A Year Alone Through Latin America. The publisher is the Santa Fe Writers Project. And really the best thing, if you can swing it, is to purchase through their website. It's just Santa Fe Writers Project on Google. I have a website, katemckayhill.com, which you're welcome to visit. <laughs> but the book is also available through great bookstores and also of course on amazon lots of used book sites will sell it as well and that's what i would suggest i'm on twitter instagram and facebook and i would love to meet you if you're listening
0: awesome all right thank you thank you so much all right you ready for the rapid
2: fire round
0: i guess so yeah
1: (laughs) we intentionally omit that from our correspondence
0: (laughs) yes uh elliot would you like me to get started
1: i i would like you to get started so kate there are 10 questions bob and i will alternate and the goal is to respond with whatever comes to your mind first we know that there are going to be some deeper questions that will require thought
2: Mm -hmm.
0: okay All (laughs) all right kate so what is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel
1: joy i like it what home comfort do you miss the most while traveling
2: my mom
0: If you could swim in any liquid, what would it be?
2: Lake Placid, which is the lake. um, Oh yeah, New York, my hometown. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: I've been there.
0: Yeah, it's a good hockey town.
1: Uh, What book had the biggest influence on your life?
2: That's a pretty hard question.
1: Um, Besides Paul Throse.
2: I guess that book didn't necessarily have much of an influence, although it did. Um, get the trip started but I think as a writer and as a reader all the books by Cynthia Voigt, who's this young adult writer um, she's definitely had the biggest influence I've read all her books dozens of times and I love her style and she really taught me how to be a reader and a writer
0: all right Uh, say hello in your favorite language
2: hola
1: if you could travel with anyone in the world living or dead who would it be
2: my husband, David.
0: What is one item remaining on your bucket list?
2: I would love to go to Finland. That's where my mom is from. That's where my grandmother is from, and I've never been yet. Yeah, oh, cool. uh,
0: neither have I. It seems beautiful, though. Yeah. Uh,
1: if you could pick an actress to play you in a movie, who would you choose?
2: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Silly question.
0: Yeah, it, it is. Uh, all right, we'll, we'll let we'll let it pass. I, um, if you were stuck in one city for the rest of your life, which city would you choose?
2: I'd probably have to stay right here in Santa Fe. All
0: right, that's that's pretty incredible. If, that, if you're already living in the city, yes. You choose, yeah.
1: I, And the last question: If you are sorry, what is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself ten years ago?
2: To just chill out, relax, and not worry as much. I have that same advice for myself now.
0: Yeah, I. <laughs> Love <out>. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Kate. Well, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you for, for coming on the podcast um, and spending your your Sunday morning with us. We really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: That's a really interesting take on a then and now story. I mean, very much different times, different paths, different people doing the the trek. It was really cool.
0: Right. And I I think one of her points of doing this was to have the contrast of male versus female and see if her experience was similar to his. And yeah, really cool story. Really amazing uh, idea to do that. I'm glad she wrote a book about it. It's uh, That was a great conversation. What an experience.
1: Well, in the social and political times have completely changed over the last few decades. And,
0: and and the tourism right and the amount yeah. of people actually going to these countries yeah yeah major differences and so it was pretty neat i would love to do that one one of these days you know maybe experience a country that uh you know that decade ago no one really went to yeah it's yeah, a lot I, of them. i can't even think of one off the top of my head that would be similar but I you know i i mean south america she kind of nailed it right mm-hmm. that's going a good one. countries like chile like argentina even like colombia a decade ago significantly less tourism right so mm-hmm. yeah yeah really awesome story
1: so thank you for listening. And we appreciate your time. We appreciate your listenership. If you care to help us out, give us a rating on whichever podcast platform you listen on. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook. We post a bunch of photos and posts about our guests, about our travel bites, about our travel around tables. And if you want to support us financially, you can do so through Patreon, as little as a dollar a month or $10 a month is the max. There are different perks associated with each one, which is kind of nice. But we appreciate your time listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and tune in next week.